we move into our message time, I just take a step up here, put on a little bit different hat right now, and hopefully in the process, as we're going through the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, take you in our Hemi Challenger to that destination that ultimately is the end of the book. But the beginning, hopefully, of some of your stories and the continuation of stories that have already been unfolding. And I like to use a storyline analogy because I truly believe that your life and mine are really part of the subplot of a greater story that God is doing in this world. And it is to bring to bear upon all of humanity uh, the redemptive power of Jesus. And if you look at the vehicle on the screen, it's a purple one this week. You know anybody who drives a purple Challenger? If you see that guy, say, hey, can I have a ride? And then if you do, he'll probably say, yeah, come on in, because this car is built for at least four people. Probably jam five in there. If you're college students, we'll jam, jam 20 in there if we need to. Uh, it's, it's, it's really for something that people do together. And the imagery that we've been using is actually a different car. It's one like that, but it's a, it's a, it's a car that has within the backdrop a Mediterranean city, that of Corinth. And Corinth is one of those places like Los Angeles. It draws a lot of different people who each in their own right have a spiritual need. And yet they are beginning to experience something they never had by coming to a place called church. And this place called church is starting to provide answers to questions that they've had for a very long time. It's a place where they begin to discover the reality of who God is through the person of Jesus. And most of these people, to be quite honest, have heard stories of God, or should I say, the gods. And it's been a rather confusing and scary journey for them because the gods they've heard about haven't been so helpful after all. And as Paul, who is the writer of the book that we're looking at, who has been responsible for this place called the Church of Corinth, is writing this letter of 2 Corinthians, he's helping to lead them through a series of problems that they've been dealing with as the church is getting off the ground. Now we all know this about believers. God loves us for who we are and where we're at. But he's never content enough to leave us there. And as much as we're not aware of it, he begins to reveal to us changes that have to happen in our lives in order to become the people that he wants us to become. And that, my friends, is a lifelong process. We begin to wake up to things along the way that we didn't see before or recognize that we needed. For example, when I was in junior high, it really was the first time that I experienced something called a team in a meaningful way. And it was called a basketball team. Anybody ever played basketball in junior high or high school? You know how it works. Usually, you're, if you're like me, you're from a smaller school, and it was a cadre of friends who said, let's try for basketball. We did, we made the cut, and uh, we had a lot of camaraderie. But when it came time to play, guess who spent a lot of time on the bench? Myself. Partly because I wasn't particularly tall, and I wasn't particularly coordinated in that way. And I wasn't particularly great at playing basketball. But occasionally, in those rare moments, when our team was winning, I'd get thrown in when the margin was wide enough that, you know, it wasn't a threat, and get to play some. And it was so awesome to be able to engage in the thing that we practiced day and night, or, or should I say, like, afternoon and evening, 
uh, every day to be a part of. And it really was, honestly, the first time that a team or camaraderie meant something. But what was so disappointing about it was the fact that I couldn't perform well in that venue. That spring I tried track, and there was the same kind of camaraderie. Kind of the same thing, though, being a late developer in junior high like I was, they really had a hard time finding a place for me. So desperate were they that at one point they had an opening for someone that they just didn't have a warm body to fill. And they said, Leonard, would you go and fill that spot? And I said, sure, I'll do it. What is it? And they said, shot put. And so I, I went and did it. And they checked a box. And you can imagine my career as a shot putter being what it was. I, I chose this vocation instead. Uh, it, it didn't end well. And it was, it was a couple of experiences that I had like that that told me I really like being a part of a team. I enjoy the camaraderie. I enjoy the friendship and the fellowship and the common purpose. But I honestly didn't enjoy so much the fact that, well, I couldn't do well in it. And maybe you've had that experience or maybe you're on the other end of it. You did so well at it that there were people in the mix who just didn't have the opportunity like me. And if you took it to another level, perhaps people were scouting you and they were saying, we'd like you to come to our college and you considered it. Maybe you did and you thought in my experience up till now, I'm a pretty big fish. But when you go to college and you go through tryouts, well, they're a much bigger fish. And then you discover something called a pecking order, where there are the outstanding talents, and then there are the people that are pretty good, and then there are people that are good, and then maybe there was you. And all of a sudden it's humbling. And you think, wow, this could have been a great opportunity to be a part of a great team. But in our culture, pretty much everything is structured like that. The people that do well or have high capacity, they're at the top of the food chain and the people that aren't, don't. But can you imagine a place where you could be a part of something where everyone can have the capacity to do pretty cool things? I wonder what a place like that would be like. I wonder how people would respond to each other. It'd have to be different for sure because it's not anything like anything that we're used to, is it? And I wonder if that place, if it could possibly be a place, is a place where people like you and I, who maybe if you've related to my story, can discover that there is a 100% likelihood that God could do something through my life that was pretty amazing. I would say there is a place like that. Well, at least there's supposed to be a place like that. And it's called the church, which is so different in so many ways from what happens out there, at least by design, that when you go there, you find that that, that place, church, is a place where, where I can shine, where actually something can shine through me. And that leads us to what we're going to talk about this morning. You see, there was a church that got off the ground in a place called Corinth where you had pecking orders and food chains and all of that stuff. A place where people rich and poor alike could gather, people of high capacity and low capacity could gather. And by design, they were supposed to be equal around a meal that they ate together. 
called the Lord's Supper. And it was so engineered that way that everyone could go into that place and be recognized by one another. And just like that song we used to hear back in the 80s and 90s, you know that place where everybody knows your name. That's the place that Paul envisioned when he threw that in the mix at the city of Corinth. But he also had a problem. And the problem was this. That as people came in from out there, they started bringing a lot of ideas from out there. And one of them that was so preeminent, because in the backdrop of this community, of course, were the Olympics. So sports were definitely in play. But there was also trade, which meant business was in play. And there was also a very awesome environment and climate, which also came into play, which meant that the people who were well-resourced or well-able or well-capable, they did good. And the people who didn't have those abilities, not so good. But in this place called the church, it kind of leveled everything out. Except when some people came in while Paul was away and said, guess what people? We have a higher capacity, we have a higher ability, and believe it or not, we've had some pretty spectacular spiritual experiences, which I'm sure you've never had. And this wowed everybody so much, that, but that they couldn't help but defer to them because, well, that's what you do to stars and celebrities. But as they're doing that, they're destroying the very culture that God had, had began to weave into their lives through the teachings of Paul. The special place where everybody knows your name, where you go to, and if you sit down anywhere, a person doesn't come up to you and say, hey, I think that's my pew. And I'll say, yeah, you do kind of stink, but that's a whole other dumb joke. Okay? But imagine if it did start to stink that way. People come in, and they start to say, in the food chain, you're kind of on the bottom. Or you don't really matter. Or God can't do much through you. And you start to feel like, I don't even know if I'm worthy to be in this place. I know people who will literally say, if I ever go to that place, the ceiling is going to cave in, or lightning bolts are going to fly, or something is going to happen to show that that's the place where I don't belong. But the little secret, and I would say it's a, it's a dirty little secret, but it is a blood-stained cross little secret that says, you do. You do. You do. But Paul's got some people in the mix that are just wrecking the thing. And they're very powerful people. But they're trying to take the world and make the church look like the world. And the church never does a good job trying to emulate the world because the world does a much better, is much better at it. And Paul's trying to undo that. And he's trying to help us to see who you and I should be. So I want to explore this, first of all, by, um, I, I'm going to do it this way. I, I want to, I'm going to bypass the video. I'm just going to go right into the text in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. Paul says this. So just follow along with me if you don't mind. He says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I'll go on to visions, 
and revelations that I've taken part in, things I've seen that are from the Lord. And so he shares that I know a man in Christ, but he's so humble about this whole thing, he doesn't want to say, but it clearly is understood by everyone, it's me, who 14 years ago was caught up to the, not the first or the second, but the third heaven, the place where all of the, all the action happens, whether in body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And as I was caught up into that, this man, or should I say this man was caught up into that, Paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God knows. And he, this man, myself, heard things that cannot be told. Things which man may not utter or talk about. I'm privy, or he, he's privy to that information. On behalf of this, this man, I, I, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. It's an interesting choice of words, isn't it? Olympians aren't weak. People at the top of the, uh, the, top of the, 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 the social pyramid, they're not weak, but Paul says, I'm weak. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I'll refrain from it. So that no one may think more of me then he sees in me or hears from me. So he's disarming the boast by doing what he's doing here and telling us something about where his heart's at relative to the people that he loves. He has so much potential here to bundle into his story that you could listen to the Apostle Paul talk and by the time you got done, you'd be like, well, I ain't got a story like that. I ain't never had an experience like that. And you just kind of feel bad about yourself because, wow, wouldn't it be great to be like Paul? But Paul is saying, no. I don't even want you to go there. Because in this place, that's toxic. Where I want you to go is to weakness. Straight to weakness. And by our standard, that's sort of not appealing, is it? I mean, who wants to be weak, honestly? But Paul says there is something in our weakness that is the ingredients, that are, that are the ingredients rather, that are necessary for you and I to discover the power of God. Now my guess is, if I were to take a survey, many of you are in this room because you, A, either were invited by a friend, or B, you drove by and you saw this place, you said, why don't I check that out? Or C, perhaps you saw us online and you said, I'd like to go and attend there and see what it's like. But underneath that, probably what has happened is a friend has said, why don't you come and join us, or a relative, or something like that, and you became a part of the mix. But even underneath that layer, I would dare say something else is maybe going on. And that is this. I know that there's something missing in my life. Or I know that I have an issue in my life that I can't get past, and I need help. And perhaps God's the answer. Maybe some of you have said, I'm here because I've got a lot of pain, and I can't seem to not only manage it, let alone get rid of it. There's always something deeper at work in a person's life I've discovered as a pastor that they may not even be able to give language to, but yet they 
express to me things that say, you're hurting. You need God. Or you have big questions that are requiring God-sized answers. And I just want to say to that person, I hope our church is the place for you. Because there is camaraderie engineered into it. There is hopefully other things bundled into the experience that will help you to shine. When the Apostle Paul is saying all that he's saying, and he's disarming the power structure that's kind of taken over, that's keeping everybody from being equal at the foot of the cross, he's trying to help us see what it is that really makes this thing work. Now, I was sharing with somebody, um, well, I was sharing with a, uh, a friend, a, a, an experience I had in South Africa. And in South Africa, things are so different. One of them is that when you are African, your view of the world typically is this. Everything that happens, happens because of spirits. All right? You can even get a, a certification in auto mechanics, learning about how an internal combustion works from the point you put gasoline into the, into the tank to the point where tires hit the road and begin to propel the car forward. You can learn all of that, but if you were to ask the African, and I, I kid you not, if you ask the African, what is it that makes that car truly work? They'll say, spirits. Spirits are the power for that thing, no matter what. That is their belief. And as the Apostle Paul is trying to actually point us back into that direction, He's showing us that we do a lot of things thinking that we can sort of put it together without him, but it creates a lot of problems. Because, well, we start flying too high. And if you've ever experienced life as a person getting an education in Roman culture in that time, which I'm sure you haven't, you would know this story that I'm about to share. So I'm going to go ahead and show that to you. And then we're just going to take a very quick trip down to three ways this unfolds into your life and mine. This is the story. So if you were a kid in Rome, you would have experienced that story in some form. And it would have captured your imagination as Paul Bunyan or George Washington chopping down the cherry tree. All of those things have ours. And as that was carried around in people's mind, Paul, a lot of scholars say, wanted to refer to that story to describe something that everyone needed to hear once again. And that is there is a place that we fly in relation to the gods, or only in this case, in relation to Jesus. And we all kind of fly at that same altitude. And as we do, we know that we can't aspire to go too high and we can't expect somebody to place us too low. That there is this sort of that sweet spot that we all reside in. But the other problem that he wanted to showcase was what happens when we assume the status of God. And as people were hearing this story, maybe they were starting to tune into the Bible and recognize that pride is an issue as well in the scriptures. And so much so that repeatedly it's mentioned. And if you think about the fall of Icarus, is there a biblical passage that maybe you you've thought about or heard as a kid, that says pride goes before what? A fall. 
There's something about going too high that is damaging, not only to the life, in this case of Icarus, but the pain that it created for his father, and then who knows who else. Okay, so you have all of that, and if we want to take that and we want to draw that into why we're here, it's because God has probably brought us in here through not great ability, but through great need. And so here are my points, quickly. The first one that I want to share with you is simply this. This is how it progresses. Your weaknesses are designed to keep you humble. Now, maybe you don't want to share your weaknesses with anybody, but I would guess everybody in the room has something that you say, this is holding me back. If I were to share with you that as a 55-year-old, I feel aches and pains that I never felt at 29. I have memory issues that I didn't used to have, but I honestly think it's because I just got too much life jammed in there that it's too cluttered now. And perhaps if that excuse weighs thin, recognize the fact that I've had people who are 65 say, well, you think that's bad, wait till you turn 65. And then I realize, yeah, there's something about life that is, well, it's, it's humbling, isn't it? It helps to bring us to our senses that we're not as powerful as we used to think we could be. But more than that, it, it, it's a way of looking at the thing that we're struggling with, not as something to get rid of, but as a means by which we can connect to the things of God. So the Apostle Paul says, here's how I would describe it. To keep me from being conceited because he had much reason, a, 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 a fine education, a fine pedigree, a fine network of friends, and ultimately experiences that not everybody has. He said, in order for me to not get in a state where I think I'm better than everybody, because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. You ever heard the phrase, thorn in my flesh? Like that person is a real thorn in my flesh. Like no matter where I go, they're chronically there showing up, making my life miserable. You ever had that experience? Or you ever had something that was just a burden that wouldn't go away? I and mean, you even prayed about it and it still kind of stuck with you. And Paul is saying, that's even happened to me. And the thing I discovered is this. It's designed to keep me humble. And maybe you have stuff in your life that is, well, it's humiliating to have to have to deal with it. I want to tell you something. It is not the end of the world. It is actually the beginning, perhaps, of the means by which God can start to flow into your life and through your life. So Paul says, first of all, our weaknesses are designed to keep us humble because we need humility for posture in order to receive what we could in other ways. And so let's go to the second point, and I want to kind of establish this in your thinking too. Your weaknesses draw you closer to God. Paul said three times, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. 
And if there was ever a passage to ponder, that's it, because it is so counter to what we think about, isn't it, when it comes to our lives, that power should come through working out. It should, be, it should come through eating right, getting enough sleep, and perhaps socially being connected to the right people. That's where power flows, but God is saying, not so much, because it's a different kind of power. But chances are you may not be able to see it, because of one word. Pride. If you just take your view of what is out there and you try to see it through the eyes of God, oftentimes what gets in the way is just that one word. Pride. It keeps us from, well, feeling pain for the things that God feels pain about. It keeps us from perhaps seeing opportunities that God gives us to help other people. Pride keeps us from being considerate and compassionate to one another. Pride puts ourselves before other people or the situation. Pride just gets in the way. And as Paul is describing this experience in our relationship to pride, he's keeping in mind something about us. And that is how you and I need to see as clearly as we can the pathway to God's power working in our lives. And some of us may say this if we come out of pride. Well, I do want to come close to God. So I'm going to do that in the form of just hearing something that is an insightful, inspirational thing. And that will be the source of power in my life. And for a lot of us, it could be just showing up and thinking, that's how I can tap into the power of God. And for people in Corinth, they could go to church and have a Bible study, but the power wasn't at work. Because that's not, that's not the means by which power gets transferred to the ground. And you could say, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to hear the word and I'm going to leave and be private and independent in my faith. But yet I feel so powerless. Or you could say, I'm going to begin to move into a place where I'm interacting with other people. And that's where it begins. That's where our lives start to come online with the power of God. See, God is looking at us and He's saying, I do love you where you're at, but I do want to move you into a place where you're uncomfortable. And if you're an introvert, you may be really uncomfortable. But I see so many introverts start to tune into the power of God that all of a sudden they are at least situational extroverts. They're doing cool things for the Lord, and it's pretty cool to hear those stories, which I hear quite often. And this is how it happens. God not only wants to just be out there to hear be heard in our prayers when we're desperate, but He not only wants to speak to us through His Word, but He really wants us to come alongside other people like he did when he was here on earth. And he wants us to be in community with other people, whether it's in a group or a Sunday school class or something that is a, a reason to be a team, a reason to find camaraderie. And then he wants to define that around the subject matter of weakness. And in our community groups, it's been cool because a lot of people have said, it wasn't until I shared my story that I felt safe because everybody in the room felt disarmed enough 
to share their story and almost always they were about their brokenness and the stuff they didn't want to share in, in church because they honestly felt like nobody's been through this. And without exception, everybody said, and I hate to say it, but we were having Me Too moments before that was a thing. And it was so cool because it was always centered around weakness. And then it started to begin to happen. Then it was cool, and I can't wait in the next series to begin to talk about the stories of what happened through groups and through different people that are assembled together in different forms and what they've done. They're so disarmed by their own weakness that it freed them up to be agents of God's grace. And if we're coming to church like they were in that day, worrying about who's where and, the, and, 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 and what they look like and whether they're judging me or not judging me and we're so concerned about you know, a critical attitude and all of those things, it just short circuits the power of God. And it keeps us from becoming the people that we need to become. Now don't get me wrong, things need to be sorted out in their own way but always in the spirit of love. And as that happens, that's the spirit of humility at work. And it is in our weakness that we draw close to God. When we're hurting, how many of you have ever prayed the prayer, help me God, help me God, help me God? Because I don't have anything else to say. I'm just hurting and I need help. I think God loves those prayers. Those are probably the best because they posture us in a way where we are now able to receive. And it begins to create the conditions for his power to flow. So then he adds to the people at Philippi in Philippians 4, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. There's something about God providing what we try to provide and make happen for ourselves. That only weakness which humbles us enables us to see. But here's the last thing that he says. He says um, as that begins to happen, the power begins to work. So let's go ahead and show slide number three. Your weakness invites God's power. Your weaknesses invite God's power. So Paul goes on to say, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly that my weaknesses, about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, and you know what, I can't even read this anymore because, well, I'm weak in my eyes. So here we go. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And as you come into this room, what God does is He just unfolds something that you never thought could happen. His power at work. In subtle and dramatic ways. Beginning with each of you, with us. And then continuing through us together. On a sports team, there's always 
the good players, the mediocre players, and the bad players. In the church, there's always people who have weakness. Which if you've been able to track with me, you know it is the precondition for power. And everybody gets to play. Everybody. Starting with the sufficient grace that enables us to come to God, not through wings that are made out of, that are held together with wax, but through a bloodstained cross that says, I entered your world, I came alongside, I died for you so that you can experience forgiveness. And maybe, maybe you've been powerless and weak in your shame, in something that you've gone through in life that has been a burden you carry with you in secret everywhere. My friend, just lay it before a bloodstained cross and discover the power of forgiveness. And perhaps that grace has taken that form in your life, but you haven't been open to the fact that there are other people around you, maybe because in your own way, pride has been obscuring your vision to cry the tears that God cries, to see the hurting that God sees, to see the people that need encouragement around you that He sees. And the cool thing is, if you ask God and he provides for you, he'll give you the way. It's a cool power. And my dream is to see everybody on the team doing their part. It's so lovely to see Rachel share things about American Heritage Girls. Because you've had your own story of brokenness. And where you're at is a miracle in, in the weakness you're feeling that empowered you for his kingdom. And I could look at a lot of you and say that has been the case time and time again. And my only job is to just kind of lay out the map for you and show you that it's there. And then hopefully, by the grace of God and through your prayers, we can create an environment that is called a church where these things can happen in ways that only God can imagine. Paul was seeing all that breakdown because they lost the map. And I've laid it out for you. And the map really begins with your own humility, your own posture of openness to God to say, Lord, I know you are safe. I know you are gracious. I know you are kind. I know you are loving. I hope your people are too. And if they are, I want to be a part of that. And I want to invite you to be a part of that. As we just take this time in a spirit of surrender, offering our lives to God and in our, in, our, in our song that we're getting ready to sing together, trusting that everything that Christ did through a blessing cross, he enabled us to be really to be transformed into something new. I, I, I wish I had time to just get testimonies. But for now, hopefully this will suffice now that you have the map laid out in